Welcome to Bath and Body Parts. I'm Melanie. I'm Bev. And I'm Cassie. We're here to help you relax and unwind. It's time for candles, bubbles, wine, and of course, a tale of true crime. So go on, soakers, settle into the tub, let your muscles relax, and your heart race as we dive into Bath and Body Parts. Friday, June 4th, 2010, Skyline Elementary School in Portland, Oregon was hosting their school science fair. There were about 400 visitors at the school. No one wore name tags that day because with the influx of visitors, the school bypassed their normal sign-in procedures. Which, Hmm. can I just say, I've worked Mm -hmm. in a school with a lot of children. Melanie, you work in a school Mm -hmm. with a lot of children. Mm -hmm. It, I am not a teacher, so I do not work in a school with a lot of children. We always signed it. I mean, we had, they would set up multiple tables and have a big ordeal about big sign-ins, yep. but it was always, you were signed And in. especially when you have that many visitors, like, I feel like your sign-in procedures are more important on days like that than when you have one person coming to eat lunch with their kid. Exactly. But Kyron Horman a second grader at Skyline, had dropped off his science fair project about the red-eyed tree frog the day before. This was his favorite animal. His stepmom, Terry Horman, and his 19-month-old half-sister, Kayla, that's not her real name, and we we won't say her real name in this episode. She took Kyron to school in a white pickup truck and took some pictures of him with his project. This was the second to last week of school, and Kyron was already looking forward to his summer plans of spending time with his biological mom, Desiree, and his stepdad, Tony, in Medford, which is a few hours south of Portland. Kyron was wearing his CSI shirt, which was one of his favorite shirts, because he wanted to be a detective like his stepdad. Yeah, it's really sweet. And the most famous picture of Kyron is of him in front of his red-eyed tree frog science project and he's wearing the shirt and he's just adorable okay well so y'all know i was real weird when i was a kid and i loved reptiles and i loved red-eyed tree frogs and that just really gets me (laughs) kyron was seen by his friends and other people that were touring the science projects so the way that they had set up this science fair they kind of had all the projects out and people were floating from room to room The kids were presenting and then they would go watch their other friends and look at their science projects. It was very open. Kyron was visiting his K-1 classroom. He was now in second grade, so he was visiting his old room. And Terry said that she saw him outside of his second and third grade classroom. So they have those grades together, Mm -hmm. second and third. And she waves at him. And this is the last confirmed sighting of Kyron Horman. Kyron's mom, Desiree Young, lives several hours south of Portland in Medford. She's married to Tony, who is a detective. This is her third marriage. She met Tony while she was working at a bank, and he was in charge of financial crimes. They worked professionally together for one year before their first date. At 4.24 p.m. on June 4th, Desiree is at work and gets a call from Skyline Elementary. It is the school secretary telling Desiree that Kyron is missing. Can you imagine, Uh, like... 
oh. receiving this call. No. Especially when you're several hours away. Like You're several hours away. It's the end. Like, school's already been out for a little while. And, and you get this call from the school. Nothing no. good's happening there. But to there. me, it's like, I'm several hours away. Why hasn't anybody else told me yet mm, yeah. first? Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. We have that conversation here in a little right. bit. Because, woo. So, obviously, she's like, how is this possible? Wasn't Terry with him? And the secretary replies, she is here. The police are also at the school. Desiree calls Terry and says, what the hell is going on? Terry replies, I took that picture of Kyron and put it on Facebook. Didn't you see it? Which um, I would be like, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah. that's, this has nothing to do with my child being missing. I feel like we see this so often in these cases where these responses make absolutely no yes. sense unless you're feeling super guilty right or yes. being super super suspicious totally it's just totally unrelated and it's so specific like oh i put that on facebook like didn't you see it cuz it's not like she was at work all day right working at her bank job like if my kid was missing and that was someone's response to me i would lose my mind yeah Terry also said she stood at the top of the stairs and waved at Kyron before leaving. At 3.15 that afternoon, Terry, Kane, and Kayla went to meet Kyron at the school bus to discover that he was not on it. While on the phone, Desiree questioned Terry and says you can't see Kyron's classroom from the top of the stairs. Terry is vague, and this is the moment where Desiree feels that Terry is lying. So she's like, that can't be right because of the way that the school is laid out. If you're at the top of the stairs, you can't see his classroom. Mm. And so she's like, well, that's that doesn't sound right. And I feel like Desiree just has that moment of like this, like I'm not getting the full picture here. Yeah. And that's got to be the most frustrating feeling on top of being scared out of your mind. She tells Terry, I am coming. I'll be there in four and a half hours. Terry sounds surprised that Desiree is coming. Like, but then like, really? why wouldn't that be? <laughs> How yeah. is that surprising oh that she's going to come? So, like, what did you think she was going to do? Okay, cool. My kid's missing. Call me if you find him. Right. Uh, let me go back right. to work. Yep. <laughs> so between 424 and 508 PM, Desiree talked to the school, talked to Terry, called Tony, been driven home by a coworker, took her dog to a neighbor, called her sister, packed, and called Kyron's dad, Kane Horman. So she did a lot in that short period of time to get ready for her trip. Well, what is crazy to me is that it was an hour and 15 minutes between when Kyron didn't come off the school bus to when the school called her. That's yeah. ridiculous. And they, they lived like a good drive away from the school, which is why he went on the school bus. So they like drove to the school. And I think that we do have to allot for some of that time because it is quite a bit away okay. from their house. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> so we need to take a little bit of time to talk about the family dynamic in this particular case because it's, it's a complicated family dynamic, but it's extremely important. And before we go on, we want to point out that we got all the information about that family dynamic and, and most of the information for this podcast from the book Boy Missing, The Search for Kyron Horman by Rebecca Morris. Now, Desiree and Terry had a long and complicated history. They were never friends. They did not get along at all, which I think is relatively normal and kind of like a step 
parent situation. But um, interestingly enough, later, Terry would have friends who claimed that they were great friends, even though that was just Mm -hmm. like categorically not true. Desiree says that Kane and Terry got together in April of 2002 when not only was Kane still married to Desiree, but she was pregnant with Kyron, which Mm. is infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. By the time Kyron was missing, Desiree and Kane had actually been divorced for longer than they were married. Now, when all of this is going down, Kane is on the phone with Desiree and he tells her, the police are here. You know what I know. Which... Sounds a little irritating, but he was just very much not an emotional person. And I think that that he was just kind of a straightforward guy. And she was probably hounding him, like asking so many questions, like, tell me what's going on. Tell me this. Tell me that. For sure. And he doesn't know know anything. Yeah. Desiree will never forgive Kane and Terry for not calling her themselves when it was discovered that Kyron wasn't on the bus. And honestly, I don't blame her. She should have been the number one call. Even imagine. Yeah. You call the police, you call Desiree. You probably really should have called Desiree first just to make sure there wasn't some kind of weird miscommunication that, like, right, her coming to the science fair or something. Right. Yep. Desiree's husband, Tony, had been at an off-duty detective event on the afternoon of June 4th, and he'd had a few drinks, so he was not sober enough to drive. And Desiree drove the two of them up to Portland. Tony is a detective, and he knows how important every minute is in a missing persons case. Terry called Desiree while she was on the road there and said that she and Kane had taken Kyron's backpack and coat home and that Terry was so worried that Kyron was out there without his coat. And she mm. says, like, what a weird why would thing. Terry why would Terry even make make me worry more? Exactly. Not only why is he missing, call? but now he's cold. Yeah. That's you're horrifying. perpetuating that story. Exactly. You're making yeah. the problem worse. Like you should yeah. be trying to calm people down and be like, you know, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Like, just focus on the drive. We'll see, like, a lot through this episode that there are some weird, uh, continued weird things from Terry in regards to everything involved in this case. <laughs> from the car on the way, Desiree also called her sister and her parents. She also called Gary Munson and his wife, Lisa. So Gary and Desiree had been married and they share a son, Quinn. And it was her weekend to have Quinn. And the relationship between Gary and Lisa with Desiree is also very strained. So Gary was very strict about only having Quinn go with her on her weekend. Uh, Like he did not even allow Quinn to attend Desiree's wedding to Tony because it wasn't her weekend to have him. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So, So she's on the phone with Gary and... Gary uh, tries to tell Desiree, you know, Quinn's not going to go with you uh, because of this weird thing that you're telling me with Kyron being missing. And she says, you know, it's my weekend. I already have one son missing and you're not going to keep me from my other son. And I just think that she is feeling like she needs to be with her family. family. Yeah, she needs family around at this time. Yeah. So Quinn even tells Gary, like, I want to go with her. I want to go with mom. And so they do allow him to go, but it was a fight. It wasn't easy. And as they drive up to the area of the school, they see so many lights. And Tony, remember, he is a detective. And his first thought is like, wow, we have a lot of people on this already. Like, there were tons of helpers, tons of lights were up. It just made him feel like, okay, we have, we have people on this. 
and they get to Kane and Terry's house around 9.38 p.m. And they say that Terry is almost cheerful when they arrive and she's offering them coffee and food. And she is even doing laundry. And she includes in the laundry Kyron's jacket and backpack from that day. Um, so she's washing, she's washing a backpack. She's washing a backpack and his jacket. What? So yeah. I have two thoughts. Someone who's really dumb or somebody who's really calculating. Right. Yeah. Those are the only two options. And Desiree even thinks like, did the cops even let her have these things? Like, how did she even get the jacket and backpack? And why is she washing it? Because unless there's a really gross like food spill right. or something inside your backpack, it's also there's you don't a wash week, the backpack. There's a week left of school. Like wash the backpack after school right. is done. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. And Tony said that it was he felt like Terry was kind of putting on airs as if she was just hosting dinner guests. Like this was just a dinner party. She kept offering, you know, drinks and food, and she would say, like, oh, look at all this food that people have even started dropping off. Like she made a big show of it. And Terry shows Desiree the picture that she took of Kyron in his CSI shirt. And she says, it's kind of interesting that he picked that shirt, isn't it? What? Yeah. Terry. Yeah. Like I said, there's some weird things with Terry, but that's just one of those, like, it sounds so ominous, you know? And they all knew that he loved CSI and everything. It shouldn't have been a big deal. But why would you even question that or why would you even comment why on that? would that even pop into your head first of all and if right. it did then why would you say it right. right exactly there are just some things that maybe you would be better off not saying here terry for real that's one of those inside thoughts that you keep inside your head <laughs> <laughs> captain mike schultz of the molten multnoma sheriff's office tells the adults that they will all have to stay together in Kane's house except when taken to be questioned. Okay, well that sheriff's office is a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> Multnoma. Multnoma. Oh, Multnoma. My apologies. Multnoma. <laughs> Detectives take everybody's cell phone, credit cards, information, etc. Tony says our lives are no longer private, which if there's a missing child, it shouldn't be. It's true. Everyone's okay with this except for Terry. She did not want for them to have access to her Facebook page, which... Yeah, and she was also feeling like she wanted to continue to have access to Facebook. She was one of those, like, she communicated a lot through Facebook, like, posting on people's walls, messaging people. It was, like, mm -hmm. a source of... Gotcha. More than texting. But, like, I work a lot through Facebook and I have to have social media. I'm not one of those people that is ever going to get to do the social media detox or whatever, because I'm yeah. on Facebook so much for work. And if my kid was missing, I would be like, screw all of that. I don't yep. care. It doesn't matter. Yep. And that's right. actually my livelihood. So no. Yeah. So detectives also ask each adult to make a list of friends, friends of spouses, etc. Anyone who would seem suspicious. So my would be Terry, 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 Terry. Here's her hairbrush I just stole from her right <laughs> Here's her toothbrush. Here's her underwear. Whatever you need to get DNA off of, here it is. Um, Tony had actually taken DNA profile from Quinn and Kyron, 
and kept it safe in their house. Desiree had thought it was weird, uh, but she was now thankful. And to be fair, this is something my mom would do because my mom is a court reporter. And I I would not be surprised if she has done that secretly. Yeah. If someone who was a detective told me that, I'd be like, yep, sounds legit. Yeah. If you worked in law enforcement, uh, if it was someone who maybe didn't have anything to do with law enforcement, they were like, I'm going to take a DNA profile of my kid. I'd be like, mm, I don't know. If my husband who works in finance came to me and said, I'm going to take some DNA of our kid, I would be like, I'm sorry, why? Oh my God. <laughs> Now in the house, we have Kane, Terry, Desiree, Tony, Quinn, and Kayla, plus many others coming and going. People noticed that Kayla, the baby, was acting upset with Terry and did not want to be held by her or be around her, which at 19 months old, doing that, very suspicious. At 19 months old, I couldn't get my kid off of me, like, for yeah, five right. minutes. I was like, he was glued to my leg. And the people that, like, people that know Terry and know the family, like, they thought it was weird. Like, enough to mention it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't the way that the It was baby something that stuck was. in their mind, yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody was asked to prepare a timeline of the events, and Terry had trouble with hers. Mm, surprise, yeah. surprise. So this is the first time that Desiree and Tony hear about what Kyron's day was like. Kane says that morning he had a moment with Kyron where he told him how proud he was of him for the work he had done on the tree frog project. And he told Kyron that after school they would play games on the Wii together. Mm. I just, I love, like, that sounds like such Mm. a sweet moment that they were able to have. I'm so glad that they had that. for sure. I know. Terry says she took the picture of Kyron at 845 and left the school at 850. And then she stopped at two Fred Meyer stores looking for some medicine for Kayla, who had an earache. She also stopped at a 24-hour fitness gym. And she said she arrived home at 1 p.m., posted the picture of Kyron to Facebook, texted, and emailed friends. Now, she has some time unaccounted for during the day. And she says that she was driving Kayla around trying to soothe her to sleep. Hold on. Can I just, Melanie, what you said before about Terry being on Facebook all the time makes so much sense as to why her first question to Desiree was, Mm -hmm. didn't you see my post on Facebook? Right. Right. That makes so much sense now. And she, it's like she, it shows, doesn't realize that how consumed she is by it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like other people are at work doing their job at a bank, probably not scrolling Facebook too much. So she just doesn't even, like, it doesn't cross her mind. Like, I, I posted it. Everybody should see it. Right. Know? Why didn't you comment? Why didn't mm-hmm. you like it? Like, mm-hmm. she. this is how she gets her self-worth, it seems like. Right. So, Kane and Terry arrived at the school at 3.56. The police were dispatched at 3.59. The school secretary calls Desiree at 4.24, which... Again, I feel like from 3.56 when you yeah. saw him not on the bus to 4.24, like there's no reason. They should have called her. Well, fair enough. The school probably thought Terry had it under control and probably had already called Desiree. Oh, yeah. No, I don't blame the oh, school yeah. at all. I no. blame Terry and Kane oh, yeah. for not. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they didn't call her on the drive to the school or like any time after the school bus, like it's just crazy. Yeah. Additional officers arrived at the school at 4.33, and at 5.30, Portland Public Schools call all the families. They send out, like, a phone blast to everybody. 
it wasn't until seven o'clock that a formal missing persons case was filed, which that's three hours later. So that's crazy. I mean, it is, but I think that that's probably pretty normal protocol because, you know, he could still be honestly weird things happen at school sometimes. Like I would love to say that nothing strange ever happens and kids never get in the wrong place, but things do happen. So I, I think it's just three hours later. And I, I think that during that time too, they're like they're searching they're the searching. school, they're, they're searching just, the ground. Yeah. Oh, okay, they're, it's not yeah. like they're not doing anything. Right. It's not like they're not doing anything because they're they know that he's not where he's supposed to be. So they're they're definitely looking for him, but it's not like official, um, you know, officially a missing person. Case right. They're like, did he even. try to walk home? Did he go home with a friend? You know, that kind of thing. So between seven and seven forty-five, the FBI is notified, and at eight fifteen, the sheriff spokesperson speaks to the media for the first time and kind of says what's going on. At 10.40 p.m., a search of the school and home were completed. Terry says that there was a suspicious janitor at the school who may have taken Kyron or that he had just decided to leave school on his own. He was in second grade, right? We said second grade? Mm-hmm. He was in second grade, and, and he's like, mm, we're a rule follower. Yeah, so he's Pretty, a rule yeah. follower. He's really shy, and Desiree says... Um, no, Kyron would never leave school on his own. He would never go off and do that. There's even this moment where Terry says, well, what if he went outside to find red-eyed tree frogs? Like, she even brings it back oh, to, wow. his, to uh, his project. Freaking Terry. Terry is what my husband would call a dumbelina, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he just did his freaking project on red-eyed tree frogs. He knows they're not outside in a tree at the Portland school. She's like, maybe he just went out there. Mm -hmm. All right. So the detectives outfitted Kane with a wire to record conversations in the house. And nobody else knew about that, which I'm saying they were already suspicious of something to be doing that at this point. Well, the fact that they did it on Kane is interesting. And right. Like they they align themselves with him very quickly, which is interesting since he's the biological father but also he was there you know he was there and i think that of the two of them i would probably go and trust him a little bit more right but if desiree (laughs) was in the house with them who was lived in a four and a half hours away clocked in at work right but it's also i think that they did this before everybody but i also know that desiree isn't in the house all the time with kane and And terry if Terry is going to open up to somebody, it's going to be Kane, not right. Desert. No, that's fair. Right. Yeah. So the first news story about Kyron appeared on the Oregonian's website at 1022 p.m. And it said, officers looking for a second grader missing in Northwest Portland. So super simple. Desiree pulled Kane into Kyron's room to speak alone. And she said that she was really emotional at being in Kyron's room and she asks Kane, what the hell is going on? And that kind of became like a phrase that she would say over and over again. What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? And she reminds him like she's not a regular mom. She's married to a detective. And she knows that, you know, this doesn't happen to random kids. So if she's she thinking, would have said, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. <laughs> I would have definitely suspected her at that point. Yeah. That sounds like something Terry might say. Honestly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. And so Desiree is talking with Kane and she tells him, you know, when Kyron gets home, I'm seeking full custody of him. And Kane says that he understands why she's upset. And like Cassie had said, he is a real unemotional type of person. And he even just told Desiree, like, I'm sorry that this happened on my watch. 
like he's, you know, he's feeling bad, but he's not emotional about it. At 2 a.m., Desiree and Tony are taken to the command center at the school. And that's where Desiree sees that the school principal is still there. And she takes that as a sign like, okay, this is really happening. This principal hasn't gone home. It's 2 a.m. My son is really not here. And Tony is interviewed first. And then they interview Desiree for two and a half hours. So they're trying to get a lot of information from her about Kyron. And she speaks to an FBI agent and she says that she has reached a conclusion and that she knows who was responsible. And one guess who she thinks. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Who could it be? So a student, Ellie Jacobson, uh, again, that's not her real name. And her mom, Alice, hear the answering machine message from Portland Public Schools. And Alice calls Terry because Ellie is friends with Kyron. And Alice didn't know Terry well, but she thought she was kind of odd. She talks about this time that Ellie was invited to Kyron's birthday party. And Alice is thinking, you know, it's going to be the traditional kid's birthday party. You'd kind of let the kids do their thing and then the adults you know, take a little break and kind of have some drinks and socialize. But when they get there, it's literally just Terry, Kane, Kyron, and then the baby and Ellie and Alice. Like, it's not really a party. It's like a family celebration that they just invited Ellie to. And that just struck Alice as a little bit odd. And like, that's very unusual because that kind of situation is like, that's your best friends and their kids coming over, you know, not like this person who doesn't really know you very well. Right. Like the kids were friends, but like Alice said, she wasn't really, she didn't really know Terry that well. So if it would be different if they were really good friends and it was just, you know, they hung out on the regular, but Alice said that it was very clear that baby Kayla was the love of Terry's life. Like she would do anything for that baby. If you'd like to support the podcast, get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases, plus get access to our exclusive Bath and Body Parts bath bombs, we'd love to have you join our Patreon as a soaker, super soaker, or bath bomber. Visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more. Kane's house did not have any curtains or blinds on the windows, and the FBI was really tired of having to hang a towel against the window while using the bathroom. <laughs> I just envisioned this, like, really large, muscular-built FBI agent sitting down to take a shit, and it's like, there's no there's no curtains or blinds, and he's, like, holding up a towel while he's trying to poop. Like, that's what oh I envisioned. Gosh. They're like, we so can't funny. keep doing this. <laughs> To remedy this predicament, uh, they go and purchase window coverings for the house. This also helped because people were trying uh, to get on the property and snoop. Wait, so just to clarify, the FBI goes and buys The FBI goes to Home Depot and buys curtains and blinds. Which is so weird. Because there's... I, I can't imagine living in a house that doesn't have some way to close the window. This is so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Like the FBI footed the bill for this. Like, you know, they're rolling up and they're wearing their little (laughs) FBI windbreakers and they're checking out at Home Depot while, you know, Joe over at the next aisle is buying (laughs) his lumber. I pictured these like the gaudiest curtains that you could ever imagine. (laughs) They were like 75% on sale. (laughs) Yes, they were the clearance curtains. (laughs) (laughs) Or just bath, like shower curtains. Like, this will work. <laughs> so Kelly uh, Kelly Ramirez, uh, Desiree's sister and her parents arrive around noon. Kelly says she can tell Kane is really beat up, but that he only cried when Terry wasn't there. Kelly's son Mason, Kyron's cousin, was the same age and Kyron's really good friend, best friend. No civilians are allowed to help in the search efforts at this point. Alice Jacobson questioned police about why the Amber Alert had not been issued, and they replied that um, they needed a vehicle description and license plate. So I guess I didn't realize this, and I don't know if that makes me a dum-dum, but I thought that an Amber Alert was for, like, all missing children. I did not realize that it was only for missing children with a description of a vehicle and a license plate. I thought that, too. Yeah. Like, now that they say that, I'm thinking, well, I've never seen one without a vehicle description. Right. But it seems like they're definitely leaving out a lot of missing kids right. and potentially yes. bad situations. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, too. But then I really like I thought about all of the Amber Alerts that I've gotten, you know, in the last year. And I was like, wait, like they all describe the car in very good detail. They have the driver's li- the, the license plate. Like, just imagine if there was a service for kids that weren't taken by car, you know? So Terry didn't have a lot of friends, but her mom did come and brought Terry's 16-year-old son, John, also not his real name. John had lived with Terry and Kane until a few months before when he went to live with his grandparents. At this point, Desiree asked to see the surveillance footage from the Fred Meyer stores where Terry had been shopping. She went to the first one at 9.12 and didn't find the Motrin that she was looking for, went to the second store at 9.40, Parks absurdly far away from other cars, buys the Motrin and other items, but these items are never found. Right. Like the police are like, okay, so you have your receipt, you bought Motrin and some other grocery things, but none of that is found in the house. And this whole thing is a little suspicious to me because, okay, you're going in, like, let's say for a minute, I believe that the first store is out of Motrin. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of brands that are similar to Motrin. There are different painkillers. At 19 months old, you can take Tylenol. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying it's completely out of the realm of possibility, but I know when I had a 19-month-old, I would not be packing that kid back up in the car to go to another store to right, buy something when yeah. you could buy something similar to the first child store. is really sick. It's like she's wanting yeah. to be seen. She's wanting to have to be out yes. and about. The only thing I could think that would make it, like, make sense to me would be if maybe Kayla hadn't had a lot of medication before, but she had had Motrin and it was, she didn't have any problems mm-hmm. with it, you know? That would be the only thing, like, she knows that she could give that to her. Right. But. Terry then changes her story to add that she also stopped at Michael's Craft Store and the Dry Cleaners. Desiree has a hard time believing Terry wouldn't know exactly where she was at every moment the previous day because that's when life totally went upside down, which I completely agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah. I think they talk about that in the serial 
podcast. I think it's in Serial where mm-hmm. they're like, mm-hmm. you know, most people, they can't remember every single detail of every single day. And in fact, they'll get a lot yes. of things mixed up. But when big things happen, like when things mm-hmm. stand out, you remember everything. And like, I like, remember. I can still remember the events of 9-11 and I was in sixth grade. Yeah. Like, because that was a big event, but I can't tell you what I had for dinner two nights ago. Exactly. You know? So you would think that All on right. such a traumatic event, she would remember more things. You would think. But again, she may be a double <laughs> She is definitely a double So we can't blame her too much for not remembering everything, I guess. <laughs> now, the police wanted to clear up the issue of attendance and when Kyron was seen and, and when he disappeared. At 10 a.m., Kyron's teacher, Mrs. Porter, marked him absent. The school office said that it was excused because several days before, Terry had sent an email saying that Kyron had a doctor's appointment that day. And Terry says this was a mistake and that the doctor's appointment was scheduled for the following Friday, the 11th. Terry talks about how she went to the 24-hour fitness gym the day before and that she arrived at 1140. The gym has her checked in at 1220. She leaves Kayla in the childcare area and doesn't actually work out. And I know that Which, sounds weird, but my sister-in-law has worked in a childcare facility in a, a gym, and she said that people do that all the time. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, but she's leaving a sick, a, a supposedly sick oh, child <laughs> there. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that's that is weird. And while she's at the gym, she is seen chatting with another woman who. She wasn't ever seen talking too much before this. So instead of working out, she's taking her kid, putting her in the childcare, and just going and chatting with someone who she doesn't even know, apparently. Now, at this point, there are two hours and 40 minutes unaccounted for in Terry's timeline. That's a long time. Two hours and 40 minutes of unaccounted time. Yeah. And is that when she says that she's driving the baby around to sleep? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. She, yeah. And then she added, you know, that she went to Michael's and the dry cleaners, and the dry but cleaners. they haven't, yeah, they oh, haven't right. been She's able to corroborate that, that yet because that she just kind of told them that just previously. Okay. Tony's brother, Jeff, comes to Portland and asks if he can bring anything, you know, when you're going to visit somebody who's kind of in a crisis, you ask, like, yep. what can I do? What can I bring? Tony asks for Kodiak, which is a high nicotine tobacco. He had actually quit several years before, but he was feeling helpless. Fair enough. I'd probably... Pick up smoking at this point. Right. So by this point, Terry had discovered Kane's wire and she pulls Tony aside and says she wants to talk to him. And she acts kind of flirty and runs her hand down his back. And he said it seemed like she was looking for a wire. I would be so weirded out if I was Tony and Terry's like acting flirtatious with me. Like I would be like, get away from me, you dumbbellina. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The FBI updates then that there are still so many people searching. Desiree is feeling really overwhelmed and she steps outside and she's not a religious person, but she says, God, if you really exist, help me find Kyron, which is just, I mean, I mean, heart crushing to me. Yeah. As someone who's not religious, I could see any of us like turning to that. Oh, 100%. I'm praying to any and everybody at that point. Yep. Yep. So on the third day that Kyron's missing, so that would be Sunday, June 6th. Terry shows up at Alice Jacobson's house, like all glammed up. She said that she had friends coming out and she needed to get out of the house and she didn't want to wear a disguise. Alice said like, oh, do you want to borrow a ball cap to, you know, make it easier for when you go outside? And she said, no, no, no. And Alice, you know, she seems like a really nice lady. She said, oh, Terry, like I'll pick up some bagels for your friends. 
And when she arrives at Terry's house, Terry says, come to the laundry room with me. I want to talk to you. And Terry tells Alice, hey, I want you to mention to the detectives that Kyron had a doctor's appointment next Friday to check to see if he has petite mall syndrome. If only the teacher hadn't mixed up the date. Okay, so before I was thinking, okay, maybe mm-hmm. the dates did get mixed up. I know as a teacher, I've mixed things up like that before. Oh, yeah. Or even she could have written the wrong date to begin with, and it could have still been innocuous. But mm-hmm. now that you're pulling Allison and mm-hmm. trying to get her in on this story, I'm starting to take away that benefit of the doubt. But here's my thing. Like, mm-hmm. why? Alice is not your best friend. You barely right. know Alice. And right. your stepson is missing. So why would you think that somebody yeah. who doesn't know you that well would keep a secret for you? No. Yeah. Well, and she's asking her, like, I want you to say this about, like, the... I want you to say it to the detectives. Like, I want you to right. say it so that they overhear. And that's just such a... Even, like, if a friend of mine who maybe, like... If, I mean, I would probably do that for you guys. But if it was just, <laughs> like, a, a regular friend, like, not a bestie, I would think that was weird. Right. For them to ask me to say anything to detectives. Right. And honestly, even if it was one of you two guys and I was going to do it, I would still note it down and be like, if I suspect her later, I'm definitely going to mention this to the suspect list that you made earlier. And, you know, Alice, at this point, she says she can't tell the detectives because she had never seen Kyron have a seizure or anything that would make her think that he had petite mall syndrome. And, and also so she's definitely like, didn't know about that doctor's appointment yeah. because why wouldn't she? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Terry also says that she wants to speak to the media alone, which That's to weird. which Desiree says, you know, let her talk. She's just going to implicate herself because she still has nearly three hours of missing time from the previous day. At 3.30 that afternoon, the superintendent states that starting now, parents will receive an automated call if their child is marked absent, which is the procedure that we have in place now. So even if a kid is marked absent, if they're sick, even if they're, the parents have excused it, they'll still get a call from the district saying, your child was not at school today at right after attendance. And the superintendent also says that now visitors will be required to wear a visitor badge which you know it was 2010 but still it's 2010 like, but i started working in a public school in 2012 and these were already right. very well established procedures so i mean right. i'm not saying that they're super negligent but these are things they should have already had in place yeah. this seemed very much like a not in our backyard type of scenario Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there were there were no security cameras at the school due to just not enough money in the budget. Mm. And the superintendent also stated that at school the following day, that Monday, there would be a crisis response team at Skyline Elementary for the students and the staff. The sheriff updates Tony and Desiree that Kyron had been seen by a student and an adult leaving school with Terry and Kayla, but. Then he backtracks that statement and that just leaves Tony and Desiree feeling so confused because he's saying, oh, you know, there was a there was a student and an adult. They saw him leave with Terry. Um, but, you know, it hasn't been substantiated. And now they're just feeling like what what is going on? Yeah. yeah. Desiree returns Quinn to Gary and Lisa and she tells Gary, you know, she wants Quinn to have access to a cell phone. 
And they got into a heated argument and Gary would not allow Quinn to have a cell phone to receive updates from his mom about his half-brother, Kyron, who was missing. Gary Munson is a total dick. Well, it just seems like he's just... A control freak? Yeah. But then also just doing things to spite Desiree as well. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, okay. Maybe you've got this bad blood. Okay, we don't know the background on that. We don't know whose fault that was. You know, for all we know, Desiree might have done something to exacerbate this problem before. But when you're in this situation... That Mm -hmm. all goes out the window and you need to be doing whatever you can to help this person who you used to love, who's missing her child. And this is the mother of your child. Yeah. And Quinn and Kyron had a very close relationship. Like they, Quinn was devastated the whole weekend that he was with Desiree. He was very emotional. He was very sad. And so for Gary to even like not help his own son feel better. It just, I don't like Gary. Mm -hmm. I don't like him at all. So after they return Quinn to Gary and Lisa, you know, Terry comes up with the theory that a pedophile took Kyron. She floats that idea around. The suspicious janitor that she had mentioned before was actually related to the principal and was cleared um, when they looked into him. And so now she's saying, okay, you know, a pedophile probably took him. Again, thoughts that you might have, but keep them in your head. Right. You don't need to be floating these ideas around. I'm like, you're not junior detective here. Don't you think that yeah. they've thought that there is maybe like a possibility that a pedophile is right. Yeah. right. And they, they do. They, they interview a lot of, like, the sex offenders in oh, the yeah, area. Like, of course. Everything. Because they're at least moderately competent, and yeah. anybody would know to do that. Yeah. And then there's this really sweet, like sad moment that Desiree has because, you know, she is trying to like take steps outside the house every chance that she can, because I imagine that being in that small house with Terry is just suffocating. Oh, my gosh. And so she steps outside and she says that it's really quiet for a minute and the wind kind of picks up a couple of leaves that kind of circle near her. And she says that she has a vision of Kyron telling her that he's with God now. That is so sad. Yeah. Do you guys want to get some wine? I need some wine. The following Monday, after Kyron went missing from Skyline School, 45 parents kept their children home. Several local businesses set up surprises for children at the school. The NBA Portland Trailblazers came to the school and gave each student a new backpack. Voodoo Donut Shop came with the donuts. Kyron's classmates had been through a lot of trauma. Several months before Kyron went missing, one of the students' dad passed away due to a motorcycle accident, and he was very involved in the class. I just can't even imagine these second graders. Like That's a lot for a second grader to go through. So That's, much. Like, none of this happened to, like, that specific second grader, but I can't yeah. even imagine as a second grader no. all of this happening. I remember, like, in elementary school, one of my friend's dads died, and it was so hard for everybody like for years afterwards you know and he he was like well behaved and he didn't act out or anything but like we all remember that time like it it affects you yeah I remember Cassie and I had uh, a student's dad die but also like in fifth grade somebody who used to go to our school died and I remember that's so hard and he always had a locker next to mine and that was I just remember that a lot so I can't even 
imagine yeah. like two things happening like that, serious yeah. things happening like that within several months of each other. Chiron's frog project is taken somewhere. Desiree never sees it again. That makes me so it sad. It really does. It makes like, me sad too. He was so proud of his work. Oh. He had like a little diorama and the little like threefold science board. Like oh. he tried so, he did such a great job oh. on that project. Ernie Allen, CEO of National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, says that people can be more captivated with missing person cases the more the setting is relatable. What is more relatable than school? Children are supposed to be safe at school. Yeah, and I think that, like, when you think of the missing persons cases or, like, even tragic deaths that you that really stand out, it's because they sound like they could happen to anyone. They sound like the setting is places we go in our daily lives, you know, and that it just makes you feel like you relate to it in a different way. And I think that especially with this one, you know, and I think that's why, you know, our tendency is to blame the parents on some level when something does happen outside of Mm -hmm. this particular case where obviously I'm pretty sure I gave away that I think Terry is responsible, (laughs) but because I think it's a way to separate yourself and be like, well, that couldn't happen to me because I'm a good parent like that. Right. That's their fault. And I, you mm-hmm. hear it all the time, even in cases where it's clearly not the situation. And I think that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the world starts paying attention to Kyron's case. Detectives take Terry to be polygraphed and they escort Desiree and Tony to a police car to make it also look like they're going to be interviewed, but they aren't. So these detectives are already on to Terry. Like, they take her to be polygraphed, but they're like, we're going to make it look like we're also taking you guys. Right. To make it seem like it's everybody because that would make her more likely to feel comfortable going. And make her run and make her Mm -hmm. do something. Yeah. Yeah. So Terry comes back 10 hours later saying she failed the polygraph. 10 hours? Like... I don't know how long a that, polygraph I, takes, but I don't think it's 10 hours. I've never had a polygraph, but like 10 hours. It seems like a lot. They only interviewed Desiree for like two and a half hours on the first night he was missing. 10 hours is a long time. Yeah. Um, Terry has a moment where she leans forward in her recliner, looks at Desiree and tells her, I hope you know I loved your son. In past tense, which uh, if anybody be... watched the Chris Watts Whoa. stuff, we all know what that means. I would like you'd have to fight me off of her if she said I loved anything past tense in regards to Kyron. I would punch her. I think Desiree obviously tells Tony about this and he tells her you're going to want to remember this. Maybe you should start a journal, which I think this is so important because I know Cassie has done this before with very significant things in her life that we're that interesting things have happened and I've done this Mm -hmm. too is where you start a journal just to remember small things that stick out in your mind and I think yeah if anything like this happens in your life I think this is one of those things that just do it just in case yeah for whatever reason just do it even traumatic at all like it doesn't even have to be something like this even like a minor trauma you need to live with that you need to remember those things because you're going to want to remember but yeah. it's also like you learn from them after looking back at it. Like it's yep. exactly. It, I think, and this I is think so Tony, important. I think he's telling her that like 
as a detective mm-hmm. first, oh, for sure. more for than sure. as for a sure. husband. But I think he's also like from a husband perspective, like you're going to need to channel how you feel about all of these things. Like, because I think that he knows that she's feeling like she's already being suffocated in the house with, with Terry and everything. And he's like, she also needs an outlet. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So I want to dive into a little bit more background on Kyron's custody situation, because as I pointed out a minute ago, when children go missing or when cases involving children come up, the media and the public automatically want to kind of create a reason why something happened or just say like, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Because it is that separation, like it couldn't happen to me. And so the media was questioning why Kyron wasn't just living full time with Desiree. Now, Kane had been with Terry while Desiree was pregnant, like we mentioned earlier, and he actually gave her an STD that oh. complicated her pregnancy with Kyron. Yeah. Oh, Which, like, oh my gosh. So, it just keeps getting worse. So up. I know. I know. No, just wait. Because then, after all of that debacle, Terry shows up to the hospital while Desiree is in labor with Kyron asking to see Kane. That says a lot about Terry. Says a lot. <sighs> She's Kane such a ran. bitch. Kane should have like, ran. Stage five <sighs> clinger. And like, you know, people that are going to defend her and say that she's not involved, like, she's obviously fucked up. Like, she's showing up to her boyfriend's baby's birth. Yeah. Like, that's so That fucked. is messed up. <laughs> so, um, unsurprisingly, Desiree was depressed after the birth. I don't know who wouldn't be. Right. That particular situation. And in 2002, she moves out of the house on the same day that Terry is moving in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. How old are they at this time? Oh, I don't know. Probably like early 20s, right? No, I think they're older than that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, because they have like, Terry has like already, a 16-year-old kid. Yeah. Oh, Desiree's right. already been married three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're but not young. this is young. her first time. So like at this time with Kane and Terry and Desiree breaking up, mm-hmm. moving in, moving out, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's older than early 20s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because oh she still has the, yeah. old, the older kid would probably be the like. The older kid is like at least 12. Like Quinn is at least 12. Oh, Quinn is older than Kyron. Kyron? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Quinn is the older brother. Gotcha. Okay. Heard. Gotcha. Understand now. When Desiree is moving out, she sees Terry moving in an, a god-awful floral-printed <laughs> sofa. <laughs> and her first thought to herself is, Kane is going to hate that. Yeah, I would she be just has this to moment, myself. like, smiling to herself. Oh. Because I guess Kane's, Kane's aesthetic was, like, a lot more simple, like, hardwood for, you know, like, oh, very you mean he basic. wasn't into bright, <laughs> busy, floral prints? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so very surprised like, based on what we know of him. <laughs> very, you know, basic furniture. So the, the floral sofa coming in, I imagine Desiree's just walking out with, like, grinning to herself. <laughs> So uh, in 2003, she goes on a trip with her friend and she ends up throwing her wedding rings in the ocean. So definitely some positive feelings there towards that marriage. (laughs) 
Desiree was also in poor health. She had kidney infections up to a dozen a year and was hospitalized three to four times a year because of it. So much. Okay. So much. A person with kidney problems. As a person with kidney problems. I cannot even imagine this. My brother-in-law just had a kidney infection and he's a guy that doesn't go to the hospital and he went to his hospital without his wife there. Like, oh my gosh. No. And it's really crazy because the reason why she had this kind of permanent kidney damage is because it turns out that she had been prescribed a medicine that's designed for short-term use, but she was prescribed to take it (gasps) continually. And that's why her kidneys ended up damaged. And that's why she has to suffer through this. And the medication was later discontinued. Poor Desiree. Oh my gosh. She has a hard, a hard life. It's hard. So she's obviously dealing with all of this horrible medical situation all these big procedures and she wants to take Quinn and Kyron with her to Canada to get treatment and both of the fathers deny see I just (sighs) I already said that I hate Gary but like Kane come on dude here's the thing okay okay hold on as a person as a person who also lived in Canada so this is a very big scary thing because if you enter into another country with children that could be considered kidnapping and so Mm. sometimes when you're crossing the border you need documentation stating basically stating that you're not kidnapping your own child and i kind of do get it on the father's side from both fathers because I don't know. I mean, it's hard to picture letting your kid go to another country. And I know personally somebody who's a baby mama after they divorced, Mm -hmm. took the kids to another country and he doesn't even get to see them. And so I I understand why you would be hesitant. But at the same time, but Canada's not that far from Portland. No, but it's not that far, but it's still like you're still it could still be perceived as kidnapping. Like, I don't disagree with the fathers on this one. I kind of do. Yeah, I I see it on both sides. (laughs) Yeah. Kane ended up getting married to Terry, and Desiree really felt like the whole purpose of that was just to look better in the custody battle. She tried to petition the judge to let her take Kyron and Quinn with her, and it was denied. And Desiree often looks back on this decision and says, if the judge had let him come with me, he wouldn't be missing. All right, Soakers, that is where we're going to end our episode today. Kyron's disappearance is so layered, and with so many characters involved, it was impossible to give you the whole case in just one episode. We hope that you tune in next week to listen to how the rest of Desiree's fight to find Kyron played out, including an appearance she made on our favorite show. And by favorite, I mean, I hate it so much, Dr. Phil. Dive in with us next week on Bath and Body Parts. you'd like to support the podcast and get access to bonus content and extra mini true crime cases plus get access to our exclusive bath and body parts bath bombs we'd love to have you join our patreon as a soaker super soaker or bath bomber visit patreon.com slash bath and body parts to learn more